Hi. Hi, Samson. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Where are you again, Claire? Romana on the Mornington Peninsula. Ah, right. Yeah. yeah. So you're also subject to um, restrictions, but they yeah. Well. Yes, yes. I know it, like when we first went into lockdown, it was pretty hard because we didn't consider ourselves like metropolitan Melbourne. Yeah. But yeah, Dan Andrews has a holiday house down here. So, does he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and like I, I work in Portsea and Sorrento um, where he had his fall. Right. But, yeah. Would it be to believe? I was talking to a couple of clients today about whether he fell or there was another incident because there's uh, so many different rumours. Yeah, it sounds a bit sus, doesn't it? Yeah. I thought he'd probably had a few drinks. Well, my mum and dad in the mornings walk our dog on the beach and they meet up with a couple whose daughter was the paramedic that um, treated him on scene and she said that he was quite drunk at the time. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't hold it against him mm. at all. I think if I was him too, I'd be yeah. at the holiday house having a drink after everything he's had to manage. So yeah. it's just a bit unfortunate that it, that happened. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, can't help but laugh at all the conspiracy theories that are coming out. And I don't uh, think anyone really knows what to believe anymore. So Do, do you mean in, in regards to Dan or in regards to... Both, well, Corona. both, like Dan Andrews and, yeah. What's know. the conspiracy around him? Oh, so um, there was a, so apparently it happened at Lindsay Fox's house and he got beaten up by a guy for being sleazy towards his young daughter. Oh. That's one conspiracy theory that's going around. And, right. um, yeah, but, and everyone down here, I don't know, probably has like other bits of information that mm. doesn't quite add up. And, I yeah. see. So yeah, I didn't know about time. that. No. Uh, mm. Yeah. In the photo of him in the hospital with the brace on was apparently a really old photo that had been doctored a bit. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. So much stuff. Oh, okay, yeah, now that brings a bell that people were saying that. There's a lot of just general conspiracy about just generally isn't there so it's no yeah. surprise that that's been pulled into it but and because I guess we live in the social media age where mm. like anyone can have an opinion about anything and twist yep. it yeah yeah it's just gone nuts yeah yeah it's, that all just sounds a bit ridiculous really to be honest yeah hmm. crazy Oh, how's everyone else? Looking forward to the... I'm so ready for the weekend. I just had enough of my bedroom, to be yeah. honest. I went back to work for the first time today and I am exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have a nap at three. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take a while to get back into that kind of space, isn't it? Yeah, mm. big time. Mm. Mm. It's really fun trying to get teenagers to keep their masks on all day, all day too. Right. They they like to wear them down here. Okay. Yeah. 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 I can imagine actually. It's yeah, quite the fashion be... statement. They yeah. are. <laughs> Kim. Yeah. Does your school do the um have the plastic around the desk or are you just oh, oh god? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I I can't I don't know how you do it. I'd be I mean, I guess it's not as bad in Australia as it was over here, but I would hate to go into a classroom with kids not wearing a mask. Yeah, look at Yeah, it'd be hellish. It's um it is what it is. At least now they've made an exemption and they're allowing teachers of any age to get vaccinated. So I know a lot of my colleagues yeah. who are under forty. We're madly trying to book in things today, but that's only because they've sort of piggybacked it on the NDIS, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I think for them, they felt very vulnerable because they couldn't get vaccinated. Because I'm not a classroom teacher, I haven't been vaccinated, but my wife has, you know, so she, that over here in Ukraine, they did, their teachers were like the first. It didn't matter if you were like a 19 or a 19 year old teacher student or, you know, 60, it was teachers get vaccinated because we need our kids to be in school. Mm-hmm. And so. it would make sense because, you know, yeah, of course. Uh, everyone else is told you can work from home, but if you work in education, you can't work from home if the schools are open. So my, they yeah, exactly. Make the decision for you that you have to go back in. Yeah. Well, my wife's an art teacher, so she taught art for, <laughs> she's here now because it's summer holidays. Um, mm-hmm. She taught art from home for, I don't know, a whole term. Um, and that was hellish. And then they were like, oh, we're opening the school for both online and in class. So you have to come into class and teach practically two lessons. And I was just like, thank you, not doing that. But, mm. you know, she had to because art resources and everything. Like yeah. we're in the, in the studio now, but, <laughs> you know. And that's why I've been inside for 506 days because they still haven't given it to me because I'm foreign. Mm-hmm. Crazy times, right? Oh, and I feel like you need to get one of those motivational posters that you can put behind in the Zoom session. Just like, hang in there, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like a little cat. Just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My that face. Is you in a while. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll have one there. made, Callum. <laughs> we should. I should look into it. I might take and pay for it. Okay. All right, well, it's six o'clock, so let's do it. So um, uh, we've got two readings this week that we're going to have a look at. And um, um, I thought probably the best way to start would be to deal with the, or talk about the lack of reading. Um, Because in that reading, uh, they talk about... um, classical categorization and a bit of prototype theory and I think um, this is probably the better place to start with. So what I thought was um, it might, I I think it's worthwhile maybe uh, starting with page nine of the reading from Lakoff because in that uh, they give some really succinct kind of uh, dot points on the kind of like logics and principles that underscore classical ways of classification and categories. And so what I thought might be useful to think about if if you felt it would be, would just be, I thought maybe throwing it out to think about classification. I thought we could think about mammals as a classificatory group and maybe how there's some kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, oddities about that uh, category and what's in it and what's not, and maybe how that might reveal or helps us think about how some of these points on page nine feed into that or reveal that. And um, so, for example, I was thinking, you know, this category mammals, well, you know, there's cats and dogs are in there, but so are whales um, and a whole bunch of other random kind of things. And how how is that the case? And uh, what kind of thinking does that reveal? So I might just start there and throw it open to people what, what they think or uh, how they see some of these principles working in action on page nine. I can go if anyone, <laughs> if no one else wants to. Um, so I think in concerning the classification of mammals, you can kind of see, and I'm looking right at the um the page nine one. I think the one that stands out is um that it kind of relies on all people uh, all people think using the same conceptual system. Um, and 
the classification of mammal comes from the uh, the same kind of classification, the Linnean. I don't know if that's how you say the Linnean classification. Um, and I feel like that's where a lot of our language is kind of born from when speaking about classification, because often it will go all the way to, you know, like, oh, this is um, the root of this word is from the Latin and it, it comes back from like a historical point of view. And I think that's something that um, also goes on to say is like it's been part of the superstructure of Western intellectual life for 2000 years. And I think it's that's where it's kind of hard for people who've been raised with that structure to kind of step away from it um, and see and see something different, like uh, the Noongar people in Southwest Australia using the birds and and the twins of the Noongar. Uh, how can you be both a bird and a twin? Because they're very structured. It's that that structure that is just hard to break out of. Um, the reason we, I guess, it became that classification of mammal is because of the second point on this list, which is the biological species and natural kinds defined by common essential properties. And the common essential properties of a mammal off the top of my head is that we, uh, we, because we're mammals as well, we give birth to live, um, live babies, live, you know, children. Um, it's not from an egg or anything like that. Um, something to do with our, I, I, honestly, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head is that we all just give birth to live, live children. Um, and yeah, I think that, I think that's really where it kind of all just comes from. They picked on one specific biological imperative of that time and said, okay, all of these things are here. And maybe if you t took a, away that structure, you can see how others link it and it, and it kind of comes into that Tapia Wolf um, hypothesis where it's like, oh, these things, um, these things are observed as the same because of certain language that we use uh, versus if we use a different language, we might speak differently. Um, I'm not sure if that's really what you're going. Yeah, I think that's um, captured quite a few really good um, points there. Um, you know, obviously there are some of those biological aspects that link uh, some of these uh, animals together. But I think what you've pointed out is that there's a kind of historical context, but there's also an approach to a universal approach. Uh, but behind that, that sense of naturalness, well, there's something that links these things all together. And I suppose I raised this point because I think what you point out, Callum, is like, we may not be able to quite articulate exactly in the moment, but we ha I trust that it's a logical and rational system that's oh, it's above my experience. I don't need to have gauged in a whale just to know that the category of mammal, it, it must make sense, you know, because someone did it. And there's this, like they say, a God's eye perspective that puts these things together and it's based on rationality, which is the best way of thinking about that that group and that that I think that's the implicit uh, the implicit uh, mode of thought there Kim um, yeah I was just going to say I think you just sort of said it but the the fact that we sort of don't then question that because in our lives we don't have direct um, contact with many of these animals like cats and dogs and you know domesticated animals yeah but we don't people who are living in these more sort of remote tribal places, they know that a whale is different to a dog in so many other ways and they're going to classify the whale because it's similar to whatever other animal they, they say that it's similar to. Um, and so that we do just take it as law because it was based on science. So we're like, well, it was based on science. It wasn't based on make-believe. So we'll just keep going with that classification. Yeah, I think that's the point. And I think what we could start to consider is that is a situated way of thinking, but it's then applied broadly. And then if you decide to have a category of animals that live in the sea and that cross cuts across mammals and whatnot or um, edible and unedible or whatever it is, well, then that's 
uh, in comparison, uh, a bit like off or ridiculous compared to our scientific approach. Um, we, were, so, we were discussing this in mm. another <clears throat> anthropology class, this idea of um, changing gender pronouns. And so now for a lot of people, they're questioning, you know, the gender pronouns that we have in place because they don't fit everyone. But still you have a lot of people who are resisting it because they're saying, oh, it's not grammatically correct if I use they, them. It's like, who cares if it's not grammatically correct? Let's change the grammar, you know? We've reflected on that in some of the other seminars. Um, we might do that again here, but I, I won't keep dominating the space. So, Caitlin, um, yeah, I was just going to pick up on what Cullen was saying about um, mammals. The similarity of mammals is that they all give birth to live young. Um, but also, if you look at that list, it also implies that they all conceptualise in the same way when that is really just a thought bubble that someone decided to put a pin in and we all just followed it. I mean, we can all conceptualise in a similar way, but how on earth are we ever going to know that a whale and a platypus and something else is going to conceptualise that way? We don't know that animals conceptualise the same way within their own species, let alone our species. Yeah, I think that's a that's an important point, and I think um, you know platypus is interesting because remember they lay eggs, um, and um, the way that I understand it is that mammals what is and I don't think and it's not important to know that because that's actually sort of the point of what I'm trying to point out to some degree, but the way that I understand it is that it's they give milk to their young. Um, but, you know, so, so like, okay, um, you know, there's so many diver, divergent areas. But I think what you're, you're correct to point out, Caitlin, is that it's a conceptualization. It's a, it, it's, a, it, it's the, 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 it's obscured by the fact that this is meant to appear as a natural category. It's, it's naturally occurring. That's, it's like, well, no, it's a category created by people and put out into the world and I think that's the kind of point that um, like I was trying to make there. Alison? Me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I was just going to agree with what Kim was saying about how um, that science point of view and that kind of relates to that last statement that there's a correct god's eye view of the world right so in western conception science is our god's eye view because that's the empirical um study of the world but i find it interesting lumping whales into that category that is kind of linked to us and it reminds me of how with livestock animals we often say, you know, they're as smart as a dog is or as smart as a three-year-old is. And there's that, there's that linking and conceptual reference um, because it's, it's an animal that we can see and have an emotional attachment to. Therefore, we put these numerical equations and values on them. And even though I suppose that has originally steeped from the categorization of science, it kind of just goes beyond that, doesn't it? And links into our cultural biases about what animals are accepted as part of our family and what animals aren't. And I think the, like, I, we might've touched on dolphins last week as well, but like dolphins being in that category too, and anything that's seen with intelligence, that intelligence is, yeah, imposed through the gods eye view, but it's interesting to, um, to then compare that with like the the newer way of, of thinking with that like that twin flame ship and all of those nuances that's based in in their law. So say if our law is science, their law is ancestral cultural myth. And for them that rings as true as our science does, which is an interesting comparison. Yeah, 
I think that's the point. And I think that's what, and that's the kind of what Levi Strauss is, was doing in his work was to really point out that and to go into great depth to detail the way some Indigenous people categorised and show how sophisticated and complex it was. It just didn't, on the same level as science, but just in a different way, coming from a different perspective. But I think what's interesting that um, you pointed out there, Lisa, is that you were talking about uh, intelligence of animals and proximity and stuff. But when you really look at the category of mammal, that doesn't really come into it, right? Uh, you know, so I'd almost say that uh, at that taxonomic level, it doesn't even really take into into consideration some of those more uh, less physical qualities like they just kind of go by the wayside a little bit and I think it's uh, it'd be interesting to consider um, you know how we could uh, what gets missed out or can we think of a categorization um, that you know could bring back things in like emotions and cognitive uh, uh, elements of it uh, uh, into kind of classical categories because that kind of almost gets uh, put out or where that where maybe that is brought in but it still is a bit problematic maybe I wonder if anyone can think of I suppose I bring in intelligence into it and maybe this is just coming from my own cultural conception but in my mind I've always likened whales to intelligence through that mammal categorization because that's what science has described. And like in saying that it is a conception, it is based in or like steeped in the science of the day, right? And like maybe maybe that science has evolved now and we are holding on to that idea of whales been likened to mammals in all these ways and to us and whatever. But um I think in terms of what animals do for their own kingdoms like say for me I would think whales are intelligent because they're an important part of the ecosystem in that they they transport krill in their mouths and don't actually eat them and will just like let them off at different parts of the ocean and they have that sonar ability to communicate and I think when scientists can measure other animals communicating and again, it's on a, it's on many scales. Like birds communicate quite complexly, and that's not talked about as much. But like seeing clearly seeing from a human Western point of view that communication, I think that denotes intelligence in our common view, which is why I bring it into it. I don't know if that was well described, but yeah, and I see what you're saying. I suspect, I suppose, though just in the taxonomic structure about that basic level the the i think the like the whale and the cat might get put together even like it, but if you were thinking of categorizing based on intelligence um that would be probably different and a whale would definitely be included but even that would be really i couldn't imagine like a like a linnaeus style um uh you know a way to kind of categorize um, intelligence because it because it, it just tries to that kind of category always is trying to put someone in the species and I suppose that's the kind of issue right that, uh, um, that you're pointing out because whales are intelligent so then w w what are they doing in this huge big that doesn't even recognize that why why is it why isn't that brought into the mix you could say and I and it makes me think about that 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 kind of um, that location of intelligence is always a bit, uh, uh, can be some fraught sometimes. Um, and I just actually thought beyond animals, like think about um, IQ tests, and that is a way of um, categorizing people, and like how fraught and all the kind of uh, problems that has because because I would argue that it's trying to put people into like rankings um, and there's something uh, really a bit troublesome about that. And I might just uh, use that as a means to then talk a bit about prototype theory 
because this is this this other type of theory and categorization is a little bit more freeing than what we're discussing now. I just wondered how people um, understood it um, and uh, uh, if people uh, maybe wanted to offer up how, what they uh, understood about it or any qualms about it. Um, and maybe we can just start of like, what does it mean? What's a prototype? Um, throw that out there. Can I just say quickly, I heard a, <laughs> I heard a funny thing the other day that was um, saying that the Maya Briggs type personality testing is just astrology for business type. I swear I thought something like that before. It's funny, people people really love that came like back into fashion again. That thing. It used to be like a such a corporate thing to do that test. Um as I sorry, as I understood um prototype prototype theory was instead um it looks at certain members of the category and puts it kind of a, a, as a, a as an example because they're perceived as being the most representative of their class and that's how you structure the the category instead so humans would be you know the in in the Linnaeus version the species is replaced by something that represents overall. So if we took mammals, humans are only a very small percentage of what a mammal is, right? So we probably wouldn't be um, perceived as the most represent, I can never say that word, representative of our, of our class um, because, well, let's say, well, I don't know enough about mammals or anything, but fur is probably a big thing. So something with fur would probably be the representation for our class um, in this prototype theory kind of structure. Um, and the same would go for, you know, um, probably not be bipedal because we're probably the only one. They might not have, they probably have four legs. They probably wouldn't have opposable thumbs. You know, and I think that is that's how I understood it is a restructuring of that whole pyramid esque shape, but instead of representing like a, a, a very defined specific uh classification, it was more a amalgamation of what made up that class. Yeah, I think you're on the money there. Um uh, yeah, that was great. Caitlin, do you want to say something? No, I was just going to say, as a theory, it confused me a little bit. Mm. Human experience and imagination. Mm. So the imagination individually or collectively, mm -hmm. I mean, if it's psychology, if, if it's individual, how can we group that all together? Because mm. everyone's experience is different. Mm -hmm. So everyone would be imagining that. Differently, yeah. Well, it just, it just confused me a little bit how that would actually work. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I um, and that's sort of why I posed it so directly because I think it's not a straightforward thing. Um, but I think what you said there, Callum, was really good. So, uh, yeah, it is uh, using what's the best example or has the principle of the category at its heart and then everything can kind of come underneath that but in a much more dynamic way so uh to use to go back to the example that kim offered up i've been thinking about it in terms of the in uh, gender categories so that you might might consider say for example that the, that idea of an abstract container for something in the classical categories might have been how we thought about gender 50 years ago. You're either, either in it or you're not. And, it, you know, even the most arbitrary things, if you're, if you, I don't know, whatever stupid thing it is, and you do that, then you're a girl. 
even if you're a boy. So it's it, 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 and so what I would argue is that uh, these abstract containers have to, even though they're abstractions, they have to have uh, sort of articulations and correlations back to the lived existence. You know, it has to relate, otherwise they're unuseful. So as we've moved on, people are going, no, like this isn't corresponding to the way of my being in the world. And so I would say, not in all instances, but let's take the, the way that I understand the category of gender fluid at the moment, which is I think the way I understand it is, you know, in some cases and some days you might feel a bit more masculine and sort of decide to express your gender identity that way. And then in another instance, you might feel a bit more feminine. So in that respect, the, category, the gender categories are still there they, and they still have like a principle within them. But how you feel and how you want to be uh, articulates with that, but it's much more dynamic, right? It's not like either or, or he, this moment, you know, and what I'd say immutable. Uh, that would be a kind of prototype uh, uh, way of understanding something. Uh, so I offer that up. And um, I, I might just return, if you don't mind, um, to the to the Nunga again, because I, I, I use that because I think that's something that's kind of topical. But I'll go to the Nunga again in Southwest Australia to, to think about it as well. Uh, and I talked about there was a singular Mawati and within that, there was two totems: the the the, uh, the white cockatoo people and and the uh, uh, black crow people. And uh, on one hand, the white cockatoo people were thought of as like the, the go get the getters, the go getters, and the the black crow were seen as the the watchers. Um, and what I didn't mention in the lecture because it's complex was that that um, oh and. And so to, to understand, to go back to Le Levi Strauss, when I spoke about it in the lecture, so his, his, his idea is that people use what's at hand to categorize themselves. And his, one of the central ideas is people need to separate themselves because of the, one of the uh, taboos on incest. So we're going to live in close quarters and we need to, we're going to intermarry, we're going to relate but we need to differentiate each other and, and, and structure ourselves uh, because of that. And so he's saying, well, the, there's animals around you, so I'm going to grab that and we're going to use that as a totem and we're these people. But it, even, even in more detail, he'll be like, this is like the, the, the left, weak, uh, left wing group of people and so down it goes. And so Deskal is coming along and saying, oh, yeah, here's some people that, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to just differentiate themselves from each other and they're using this bird and this crow. But then he's like, okay, well, if that's the case, if, that, if, they, if they just want to organize themselves and separate each other, why those birds? Why don't you just go night and day or um, that other snake and that other snake? And so then he sort of looks at these people and says, well, the white cockatoo people, they have a certain sort of physical traits. They're a bit slimmer and their skin's a bit paler uh, most of the time, not all the time. There's a few people that aren't like that. Um, but they have a certain disposition as well. They're kind of like a bit more open, a bit more humorous kind of people. And likewise, there's different categories of this other group of people, the black crow. They're a bit taller, sorry, a bit shorter, uh, darker skin, um, a bit more of a surly kind of disposition he says but then also underneath those two totems they say they use other animals as well to further delineate themselves like female dingo people <laughs> so his point is that they use those birds because it's the best example that allow provides them a principle to organize themselves that relates to their physicality and the way they are best corresponds to what the cockatoo represents. It doesn't cover the whole, all of them. And that's why we have to use these other animals as well. But those other animals articulate with that principle as well. But then they just give each bit more specificity. So it always comes back to that bird 
that you can see how it incorporates people's disposition, their characteristics, and it's dynamic. It's not trying to like lock you in and be like you're either got this trait or you don't. It's there's this kind of articulation and correspondence with that that's kind of uh, much more dynamic and uh, it's not an immutable category. So does that, is that clarifying or is that confusing? Can I just ask a question in that? I think that made sense to me, but if you're saying it's dynamic, does that mean that somebody can, you know, begin their life as more affiliated with cockatoo and then kind of grow into being associated with another bird? Or like the like grow into a black cockatoo. I mean, I maybe not those two references, but you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. I'm not sure. I think they would they they could marry over to that side. I do think though that there's probably that kind of dreaming cosmological side that might sort of tie you in there. But I I would I reckon you could you could leave that area. Or I reckon they would understand, um, you know, that you might be of a different kind of nature um, um, and that it's, you, you don't articulate as strongly with that as another person. So I, I suspect there's um, different degrees, right, different degrees that you articulate and that maybe, um, you know, you could marry into someone else or, or whatnot. Um, but that's very different than the Linnaean classification, right? Where you go, bang, we're hot, you're in that species, that's it. And uh, we've found your place and we've located you and, and I don't care about how you feel about it. Um, yeah, Callum? Yeah, um, so I grew up on Noongar country um, so I have some Noongar friends and I know um, that there's quite a few kind of totems that they use, including the birds. I know that um, my friends used to call one guy who was really good on sports day, they're like, oh, he, he's clearly um, one of the Jordan, I think it was, which is like a goanna. Oh, look at him. He, he, he is a that obviously he's told him they used to joke and he'd be like, no, I'm a, a widget, which was like an emu, which was also faster. Like, no, you look more lizardy and more like, so I kind of hearing about that, I was like, oh yeah, of course. And that, that like brought that up for me again. And I never really thought of it as a way of defining the classification of people or separating it, it was more to me at that time, especially in the way that they'd apply it, was a, a very characteristic-based thing. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of, I wish I had paid more attention to that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it was, um, it was really interesting to see they kind of personified animals, not in the sense that animals were people in, in personhood sense, but that they shared certain characteristics. And it was like the the people that had the barnum where it was that was their totem, they couldn't eat, they couldn't interact. It was similar for the Noongar people, but it was more you you have certain parts of that land, that nature, that creature in you, and so you represent that, and that becomes your totem. And I found it like really interesting. And that guy was definitely more of a goanna than an emu. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. That's such a great insight. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, uh, my my experience is only related to reading it in a book, so that's that's great. Thank you so much for that, Amy. Actually, uh, Callum covered a lot of what I was going to say because I grew up in Noongar country too. Um, it's really special. It's a really a really strong culture amongst the Noongar people in uh, Southwest WA, and um, yes. Get, get to share a lot. And in Albany, uh, which is on Noongar country, uh, they're actually re-labelling, classifying all the signs and signage around Albany. So it's got um, a traditional language as well as English language on, and that's in the process at the moment too, So which is really cool. Um, but yeah, 
comes all over it. <laughs> yes. Thanks. That's great. Thanks for showing that. What I might say to you guys is, um, to, sorry, you all, um, I just, someone in the discussion board said I was into the Lakoff reading and what else should I read? And so I recommended that chapter that uh, Deskala wrote that mentions the Noongar people. Um, so if, you, if you're interested in maybe reading a little bit more on how Deskala thought about the Noongar, because he gives it so much more space and it's, he's a good writer, uh, you might like to just read that chapter um, and see how you think about it. Um, Melania? Yeah, no, it's just so interesting to hear about um, the Noongar people because in Fiji we have like um, a similar structure of like um, animals that we worship as gods. And so like the characteristics that the people of that land share with like that animal god is so similar because um, we have this shark god, his name's Dakwanga, and everyone, um, it's kind of like a known fact that people from that island are like good at swimming, and if they do swim in the ocean, like no sharks will like come and, you know, like try and bother them and stuff. So it was so interesting to hear that. And also, um, I'm sorry for like jumping from readings, but I noticed in the Evans Pritchard one, when they talk about twins and the fact that they're um, their likeness to birds, and how they consider them as one in the same. I thought that was so interesting and how it's not really like, but in this sense, it's not exactly physical qualities or characteristics. It's more of like a, like a social or super sensory quality, which I thought was really interesting, just kind of um, tying it back to like um, how you can share um, characteristics with a certain totem that is like representary, represent representatory I don't even know if that's a word I'm so sorry <laughs> but of like a community so yeah it's really interesting thanks for that yeah it is interesting and and I think that's actually a pretty good segue I think it's a good time to talk about that uh, the Evans Pritchard paper now um so yeah I think Milani you kind of uh picked up on some of the central points of that reading which was to to, to consider the fact that Twins are thought of as a singularity, and then on top of that, they're, they're thought of as birds. And what I thought I just might be a good way to talk about this um, is now the other thing I actually just realised I completely forgot to do, but I did it in the lecture anyway. Um, that I, I'm going to make try and leave a bit of time to talk about assessment one with everybody and answer all the questions and qualms and queries. So. I want to try and leave it to face that as well. Nevertheless, um, I thought maybe a good uh, way to reflect on uh, the Evans Pritchard reading was um, maybe just to share some of the instances, the practical kind of things, the things they did that made us understand that they weren't just thinking about, you know, twins are like a singularity or it's as if they're like a bird. In, uh, what are some of the instances that jumped out at people um, where, you know, it was really drove home, you know, look at what they're doing, they really, really think like this. Um, I think one of them for me was the idea that if a twin passed away, then they weren't given certain burial rights because the spirit was still alive. And then if there was a remaining sibling, they came up and sort of took the role of the twin. It was, it was really interesting to read because where I work, we have um, Sudanese triplets. And so the name structure was very similar to, to what they had in there. But yeah, I liked, I liked that part. I also found it really interesting that they considered it better to have um, mixed sex twins because then one would protect the father and one would protect the mother. But if you had two girls, then they protect the mother, so you had to watch out if you were the father. I found that very interesting. It's funny, very Freudian, isn't it? Yeah, that was kind of good. Uh, but yeah, that kind of a lot of a lot of stuff around marriage and um, and death. I mean, they're all the critical times in life where I suppose these values get reflected. But um, yeah, the, the burial things are really interesting. Putting on a in a tree or on a platform and. Um, yeah, the marriage rituals. Is, uh, I always, I, I don't know. I always hone in on, uh, you know, it's a two for one deal. You're only getting one cow if you marry these guys. That's too bad about that, you know. So that was kind of that was interesting. Uh, yeah, Melania. 
Yeah, no, that is so interesting, especially with the burial um, rights and just the mutual respect that is expected from the animal. Um, like, you know, how they put the, the basket in the tree and they like, they just know that the bird's not going to come and try and eat the remains. So I thought that was very interesting. And also how they were talking about, um, because twins are all considered birds, they're not allowed to marry another twin. I thought that was so interesting because um, it's almost like their identity as their totem, or I mean, their identity as that animal, like kind of supersedes their identity with humans, you know, like as a human being. And so I thought that was really, yeah, I love that, um, that they kind of, they just, they share those characteristics with the birds. So that supersedes their human relationships, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a quite insightful point on that. Um, that there were certain behaviours that centred around that. But like you say, it almost took preference and it was sort of like an existential kind of thing, uh, extra sensory, not existential, existential kind of thing. Uh, so the, the, the point being that, you know, that, that it's not like they have feathery kind of qualities or big like qualities, right? They understood that. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, they were considered birds. Did anyone ever think that we ever got to understand why that was the case? Or do you think Evan Pritchard was like offering that up to see, well, okay, well, why is it um, birds that they, that they, uh, they assigned to, to twins? I, I, I was wondering that question. I was thinking about often when birds have, will have two or three eggs, they won't just lay the, the one egg. I'm wondering if that's where that may have come from. That's an interesting thought. Anyone yeah, else? that's what I, I was going to say as well, Amy, but he doesn't really... He doesn't really highlight why I don't feel like, or at least I didn't pick it up through reading why they decided it was birds, other than the fact that they speak about how twins won't eat turtle either or crocodile or anything because it's eggs, and they and they say, oh, it's like birds, they're twins as well. Um, and, yeah, I, I assumed it. I, I made the assumption as well, like Amy just said, that it's because they're all born at once, and so were they. They were born at once of, of one mother and father and yeah that's what I assume but I don't think Evan Pritchard really states that anywhere um I'll jump in here because it was there was a bit of a manipulative question so I don't think he does either um and I don't think that's the point of the paper and he does mention the guy that I was referring to in the lecture Levy Brule at the end and so he's sort of saying, look, that I think I think his point is like because you are you, even though I'm re- reading this again, I've taught this course before. You are sort of reading like cool. I'm waiting for you know tell me, and he doesn't. And I think the point is to be like, you know, there isn't it. It is what it is. Uh, and the, you are searching for that while you're reading it, and you're not going to get it because the point is. They don't have a problem with that. There's no contradiction. They don't, they're not worried about the principle of non-contradiction. And you, you, as a reader, may have finished reading this feeling unsatisfied or confounded. I think he, and even him, he's, I think he, uh, in his writing, you can get this sense he's a little bit confounded and maybe it's just a, well, it's confounding because it doesn't apply. It's not the same logic that we apply. It's it's to us, it's a contradiction, and it's not to the newer. You can be a bird and a person. Yes, Caitlin. Um, I was just going to say part of the part of this reading that really got me was that um, it's on two thirty eight. Uh, where they talk about it's possible to kill either or both of the twins or let them live under those circumstances. So it's a decision of the parents at the time of birth whether they're going to go through this process or they just kill them. And I thought that was really quite radical 
I think it's more, yeah, if one dies, the other one sort of almost has to as well, I think maybe, because they're so, they are considered a singularity. Well, um, they do say that if uh, either twin dies, the child who was born after them takes his place. Mm. Yeah, um, that's right. counted as the twin. But that's right. the option to actually kill the twins off at birth is there mm. if they don't want to have the hassle of going through this process, which mm. is a really radical It is a radical, be. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it comes back to, I think, that idea of a sing that singularity. But what's interesting in some of the other seminars, people were like, well, that's strange. Like, how do you deal with that? Like, it's a singularity, but it's two. How's, what's a, a double singularity and it's like well there you go again it's sort of it's not a problem to them and I was I went I obviously went and back and read Levy Brule in preparation for the seminar and he said um, he's talking about pre-logical thought and the principle of non-contradiction and he's, he, he kind of just drives it home when he goes and you know what so what's this whole thing about um the trinity you know the christ and the holy ghost and the he's like so that that doesn't is that a, isn't that a contradiction and so you know his point being you know we have pre-logical thought also um yeah Alyssa. i found it oh, yeah. i found it interesting that um it seems like in the singularity it was interesting how the elder always went through more ritual than the younger and there was definite gender differences in how that was experienced and I was just thinking about what that would feel like being in that twin situation like being in that bind because in the reading it kind of I mean it's just field notes so he's really just taking it as he sees it and I don't know if that's maybe the author's inference but it seems to me that on the one hand, it's seen as something dangerous and something that's kind of looked down upon, but also regarded in this really holy nature. And in that as well, I feel like there's a contradiction. And I just thought that was really fascinating. Also, um, as a side note, I thought it was really interesting that there was the classification of river twins that are born with small heads and are seen as less dangerous than the termite mound style twins which has larger heads and might harm cattle I thought that was really funny um just in in that I I suppose in maybe like coming up from a country background if somebody had a big head about something you know like and they were on the farm they were probably more likely to let the cattle lose or harm them you know than than you know somebody that for me, like that conception relating it back to like this, this Western conception, like river twins, they flow better, you know, like they're more logical, that kind of thing. But anyway, yeah, that, that was just my thought. Some great observations there. I think, yeah, I think he tries to sort of show that there's other things that come into the mix, right? It's just not twins of singularity, but that's a, such an interesting, I think it's a great observation about, um, you know, the danger, but the awe and the kind of sublime you know a, a, a reverence and then a fear and it's dangerous and it's not and um, I wonder if that might come back a little bit to that kind of cosmological aspect where they spoke about the sort of anim animals and the twins that arrive and then they sort of divide out and that's how the world gets created so the twins is an instance of that primordial singularity still kept so it's kind of like uh, scary and revered as well but I, that's a really really good observation there. so yeah Claire well I, sorry just one more thing but I think it's also like revered as something that isn't necessarily fully understood as well you know like you were saying about that creation theory that it's yeah that there's that awe and re reverence but also that fear that something bad could happen because they don't properly understand the magic of the thing Yeah, Claire. Um, yeah, when I was reading it, I kind of got the um, the yin and the yang, like in modern society, how we, well, the twins that I've known, we've always joked, like, who's the evil twin? You know, like it could be, yeah, in their terms, the older one or the younger one, depending on the rituals. But in some ways, 
from my understanding, it was like the two of them make a whole. So it is the symbols of, yeah, yin and yang. And yeah, that's what I just associated it with. Yeah, I think that's a worthwhile thing to think about. It's a, there's a, yeah, there's a sort of, uh, you know, that strange kind of dualism, like a yin and a yang, but it's a, a singular at the same time. And that's the kind of confounding thing. Uh, the 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 um, the pair in the singular, you know, it's, it's even hard for us to kind of quite articulate. But for them, I think it's kind of not it's it's not a contradiction. And I think yeah, I think that's a good point to point out. So look, I, I'm aware that we've um, hit what we would consider our, our sort of time. So I just want to open it up. Um, does anyone have any questions, qualms, or queries about the um, assessment? Uh, that's due on the 15th of August. No. Um, I'll just give you, a, I'll give a quick spiel. So, yeah, five pictures that you take uh, be out in the world. Now, if you're, if that's not applicable to you, then you can, for very obvious reasons, um, you can take images from elsewhere, but you just make sure you sort of cite them and you just uh, give a five-minute oral presentation about some of the ideas that we've thought about so far around personhood and classification and whatnot and just speak to the images. Um, you don't need to have uh, references. Um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you might mention it. Um, so yeah, here's a picture of my cat. I really love her, and it's like a family member, but it's not the same type of family member, or it's not the same type of personhood as the Yukigis think about in the Willislev reading. You don't then have to go Willislev on this page, da da da. Just give a nod to it, um, and um, I, it's not. Yeah, don't give. We don't, I'm not sharing it with anyone. I'm the only one listening to it. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's sort of meant to be sort of a bit free, it's a bit low stakes, um, and it's just kind of, you know, and then I'll give you some hopefully some helpful feedback you can take to the next assessment, really. Kim? Um, yeah, just one question. I've, I've come up with some ideas, but mm -hmm. am I able to email those to you to just see if I'm on the right track? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look at them and I'll say, I think, I think you're on the right track. Yeah. I, but I, I won't. I don't want you to proofread. Yeah, I won't give too much detail. Before feedback. I go down that path. And yeah, that's fine. That I'm yeah, talking yeah. Talking about I, completely the wrong thing. Yeah, I'm happy to do to do that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Cool. Uh, and for, yeah, anyone else feel free to do that. I won't. I'm not, not going to like copy edit your drafts or anything like that. But I'll just say yeah, call that. Looks like that sounds good to me. That's good. Yeah, Callum. Um. So we don't need to present them. That no. It's okay. Cool. Because for three three uh, three oh oh no whatever ASS three three zero we have to present them and I was worried like oh how are we all gonna but that's cool. But mm. Just wanted. To, I thought we didn't, but I, I just yeah needed to clarify because it, it's called a seminar assessment so I think it is misleading that makes it sound like you have to get up in front of everybody but you don't so you just record it send it through and um, I think there's a function in PowerPoint where you can record and so just send it through and I'll be the only one who listens to it yeah. Melania um, sorry so do we have to would you rather that we like kind of send you a transcript of what we're going to say just in case there's audio issues or like what do you think is that unnecessary um, I think that's unnecessary work on your behalf. If there's an audio issue, I will email you and say this didn't work. Um, and maybe then you can try it a different way. Um, yeah, but I think that's extra unnecessary extra labor. But that's nice of you to think of that. But um, yeah, if there's a problem, I'll email you straight away and be like, hey, this didn't work. Do you want to try it another way? That's what's happened. In the past, that it it has a few times that's happened, but mostly it runs pretty smoothly. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it. So 15th of August. Uh, oh, and the other thing is um, Deacon have just um, put a new tool in. So um, in the cloud, 
under the uh, drop-down menu tools, uh, there's an option there that says assessment extension request. In the instances that you need those, that's, I think, probably a smoother way to do it. Um, then uh, you can still send me the PDF for the other ways, which I've linked in the main announcement, but I think that's probably a bit more of a easy way to do it, if, when, it when it comes to that. Cool. Um, so that's about it. If you do have any other questions and queries about that, and email you can email me. And um, great. Um, thanks everyone for coming. And um, see you next week. See you later. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.